everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Rise Up Voices from the Frontline 2024. Tonight, I want to welcome a very special guest, Officer Dave Voorhees, who is working still as an officer, is training other officers, and is an advocate for first responder mental health. How are you tonight? Yeah, I'm doing well, Krista. How are you? I am awesome. So I'm really excited to start this new year off right. I want mm. to bring on people that are not afraid to tear down the systems and structures that are devaluing first responder lives. And mm. we've had a few conversations and I know that you're not <laughs> afraid to headbutt those old systems and say, hey, look, we need to do something different. Mm. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your background and who was little Dave? Dave. Uh, little Dave grew up in the mountains, uh, only child. So spent a lot of time outdoors. It's something I am still very much passionate about hunting, fishing, four wheeling, camping, hiking, you name it. I love being outdoors. Um, it's kind of like my therapy after, you know, a long stressful week or something like that. Grab your backpack, take a hike, take a walk, something. Just get outside and give yourself a chance to decompress. So I started my career in 2011 in law enforcement and got a chance to work for our sheriff's office up here, which in Pennsylvania, our sheriff's office is a little different than other parts of the country. So our sheriff's office is not a 24 hour law enforcement agency. It's more court enforcement, um, court protection, stuff like that. So I got a really inner workings of criminal justice system, which really gave me a leg up because you're dealing with people from all walks of the criminal justice system. And you're doing a lot of handcuffing. You're dealing with a lot of people that can be upset after the, you know, their court hearing doesn't go the way they thought it was going to. And from there, I just, uh, what we call it up here, we do, we call it the Delco two-step where you're doing like maybe two or three police departments at one time. Cause we do a lot of part-time police officers up here. So I'll, you'll work maybe one, two or three police departments, go from one job to the next. Uh, there were times, you know, you're sleeping in your truck between shifts. You got a couple hours, catch a couple hours of sleep in your truck, go in, get a change of uniform and you're right back on the street again. So I don't think that's really uncommon for police work, even if you're not multi-department. I yep. think there's a tendency to take on a lot of uh, a lot of external extra hours in private security or something yeah <laughs> nice. <in> neighborhoods <laughs> oh my brothers and sisters out there know the pain you know you get done work and then it's like oh ugh, a couple hours of sleep and right back to it again but it's definitely it's, it's a passion that you have for the job that drives you to do it it's something that you you really want you really have to love in order to do put yourself through some of the stuff we go through do you think that there's an element of necessity there do you think that a lot of people have multiple jobs because the police work isn't paying sufficiently to cover normal everyday expenses um it's hard to say because i can't speculate as to other departments across the country i know some pay more some pay less i know some departments where officers are making easily six figures and others that are just happy they can pay their bills at the end of the month and put a little bit of food on the table um, some departments out there offer health benefits, some don't, some offer pensions, some don't. It, it all depends on the agency. 
So hearing, hearing officers working more than one job is not uncommon. I looked at your LinkedIn and I noticed that you worked in multiple departments. Mm-hmm. What, what was your reasoning for moving around? So up here, like I said, in, in my area, there is a lot of part-time policing and you are encouraged from the time you get out of the academy, apply everywhere, apply to any police department, get as much experience as you can. And during that time, when I first started, it was, you would go to a PT test and you might get 200 people, 300 people that show up for two job, two positions in that police department. Recently, we're seeing seven, eight applicants for three and four positions that are open. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's definitely, there is a lack of, I don't want to say interest in the job, but it's it's very hard to recruit anymore. And a lot of agencies that I'm hearing as well, it's they're having a hard time because this post 9-11 generation just is a little different than when you and I were growing up. So we, we were old enough, we remember 9-11, but a lot of the ones that were born during or after, they don't remember that. So they don't understand that that drive to want to be there to help others. Not to say that's everybody, but that's what we're seeing as far as me being an instructor as well. Every year, there's a little bit less students. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been, how long have you been doing law enforcement work? Uh, I since I stroked it, so to cover all of the different. <laughs> so since 2011, um, my last four and a half years I've been with my agency has probably been some of the best times of my career. Um, absolutely love where I'm at. Our chief is such an amazing person. Um, yeah, I won't mention his name, but he knows who he is. Um, <laughs> I, I look to him as a mentor, a friend, and not only that, our, our chief of police. I mean, he's a man who I have deep admiration for. He's someone that if he doesn't know the answer, he'll get it for you. But chances are he knows the information. He's just, he's a wealth of information. He is very good at leading us and, you know, he does a good job being humble about it. You know, I've, I've seen agencies where it's like, I'm the boss, I'm the commander in chief. You do what I tell you to do. And that's the end of it. It's like, okay. So he, he's always open for discussion. He's always open for, you know, doing things that maybe better or a little different, which is hard because sometimes you get those in charge that are like, this is what I say. And that's the end of it. Right. If, if that makes sense. But uh, no, definitely a man I have a deep admiration and respect for. Um, very much enjoy my police department where I'm at. The residents are fantastic. They're very supportive of their law enforcement. Um, it's not uncommon. You walk into Wawa, someone walks in and says, thank you for what you do or, you know, holds the door for you. Where I've worked in other agencies where if they see you walking behind them, they'll shut the door on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Simply because of what you do. So, of course, just speculatively and from your experience, how important do you think leadership is in relation to job satisfaction? Vastly important. Um, When you talk to other first responders, and this could go for anything even in corporate America, people leave their jobs because they're unhappy with leadership. They're unhappy because of the way things might be going or the way things are or something like that, or even people that are just unwilling to change. You know, we joke around, we call them the dinosaurs that are sometimes in our uh, job, whether that's police, EMS, fire, they're just, they're not going to change. It is what it is. This is how we did it 30, 40 years ago. And that's how it's going to be done. Well, as we know, in law enforcement and all first responders, things evolve, things change. We learn new things. We learn from experiences, mistakes. 
So I would say that more people leave because they're unhappy with where they're at. Absolutely. And you, you haven't been on the job like a ton, a ton of time, but have mm -hmm. you noticed any shifts with regard to the approaches with mental wellness in your area? Cause you're kind of a small town, small community. Yeah. I would say that like you and I have discussed before, there, there's such an apprehension to mental health when it comes to law enforcement. And I would say for anybody in a first responder, you know, it, as I've said before on other podcasts and in conversation with you, as first responders, we try to eat healthy. I'm not saying we always do, but we try to eat healthier. We try to go to the gym. We try to exercise. We want to have a healthy body. But when it comes to the mind and saying, hey, you know, what I experienced, I, I have some feelings and I have some thoughts for it. Well, what's wrong with having a healthy mind? A healthy body's okay. But if you say, hey, you know, I, I want to talk to somebody about how I'm feeling. You know, you're red, you could be red flagged. It could be, oh, well, you know, people talk in the locker room. Hey, they're crazy. You know, and again, like you and I have discussed, I mean, it's the average American sees between what? One, leave. Yep, got it. Yep. They see between one and two traumatic incidents in their entire life. Whereas in the first responder field, police officers especially, we could see upwards of two, 300 traumatic incidents in our career. That's just in a 20 to 25 year career. And we're seeing that much trauma. Somebody has to stop and say, hey, if someone sees something traumatic once in their life and, you know, we're talking about mental health and we're giving them the ability to speak with someone, but a first responder that sees vastly, vastly more, that's not okay. You know, their mental health, well, you know, just back in the day it was keep your mouth shut, suck it up, deal with it and move on. Right. And the thing I hear all the time is that's what they signed up for. I prepared for that. <laughs> I have had people even say that to me that, listen, if, if you got shot and killed, I had one young lady, I won't say much about her, but she said, when cops get killed, I don't feel bad because that's what you guys signed up for. You know, you're signing up that you might get shot and killed. Not everybody seems to realize that behind the badge were someone's son or someone's brother or someone's you know, sister, father, mother, any, anything. I mean, we have families too. We're behind that badge. We're just as human and everybody else. And it's, it's very sad when people look at that and don't stop to realize that, Hey, behind all of that is a, is a human, you know, I mean, it, how many times in our jobs, you know, you get called all kinds of names, some that are even made up that takes a toll on you. You know, you have to brush it off. Sometimes it's funny, but it's, you know, again and again and again and again, and it wears on you between seeing stuff that's traumatic, hearing stuff, you know, what you witness, it takes a toll on you. And I believe that mental health is very important as it relates to us as first responders. I think until you are face to face with an officer's family and until mm. you actually see the pain and suffering of yep. the aftermath of an Absolutely. officer line of duty or a suicide until you mm. see the end of result of that. It's really hard for people to connect for us, our organization. One mm. of the families that we served was uh, an officer who was ambushed in the line of duty. Mm. He had a little girl. He was a single father with a little girl. Yep. And now we, we do a lot of 
um, we do a lot of campaigns for that little girl. Um, mm. I mentioned them, but that particular family has been with us this whole time. And even still just this Christmas, and it's been three years now, just this, mm. Christmas, this whole family put up a tree with his badge number and all these different ornaments. And it was his blue line tree and mm. everything was about that loss. Even three years later, the whole family just is so devastated. And that little girl's gonna grow up without a dad. Yep. It was senseless. Like it, he wasn't even doing what he signed up to do. He mm -hmm. wants to, to save people's lives, right? That's what you guys wanna do. You wanna help the community. You don't wanna step out of your car and just get shot for no yep. reason whatsoever. So I think it's really important that you didn't sign up to just toss your life away. You didn't mm -hmm. agree that your life was meaningless. Yep. You signed up to make a difference and to change people's lives. And mm. a big difference. Yep. So I think it, it, it's really hard for people out there who don't see officers very often to connect them as real people, to make mm -hmm. actual understanding that they're real people with real lives and real families. Absolutely. So have you lost anyone in your department? Have you seen that firsthand? Uh, I have seen it in other agencies. Um, I won't mention them obviously on air, but it the, it is a thing that it can get close to home because a lot of us, when we go to the academy together, everybody knows everybody at some point along the way in our county. I mean, whether we went to the academy together or we went to the academy with somebody who knew somebody, it's, you know, everybody knows everybody, as we say. So it's it's definitely something that can take a toll. And where we are in one of our um, county parks is a memorial for line of duty deaths for police officers. And my kids got to see it for the first time um, last week. I took them and it was it was very moving. For them to look at me and say like wow dad we didn't realize that you know they're younger so they don't truly understand the job and i don't want them to you know they're too young to have to go through that stuff but it's heartbreaking when they see people's names on there and they're like that was a real person i'm like it was so how old are your kiddos uh, i have identical twin girls they are 11 going to be 12 years old mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they have to understand yeah and then they have little sisters which they're they're too young they don't they don't understand that stuff yet but the twins are they're they're becoming young ladies so it's a lot of fun to have conversations with them about real life issues as they start to get a little older but for them to see it it was very moving so have you had the the tears and the daddy don't go to work um, a little bit. It's more so like we hate that daddy has to work so much, but I'm like, you know, it, when you're an adult, you have responsibilities, you have bills to pay, you have financial obligations. And they're at that age where they're like, daddy, just stay home so we can play or <laughs> daddy, just stay home so we can go to the park or daddy, just stay home so we can go to the aquarium. Gotcha. Yeah. That's but they, they do love the fact that their daddy's a police officer. They're very proud of it. You know, they, they draw me pictures. They love to talk about it at school. You get to bring your car home, right? <laughs> um, sometimes I'll, I'll run it home real quick, but you know, obviously you got to have the command staff's approval. But most of the time I just take my own vehicle back and forth to work. <laughs> oh, so what is 
I know you got into law enforcement because you want us to make a difference because you mm. want to change people's lives. You're working in advocacy for mental wellness now too. Mm. What does that look like? Um, so I got my SISM certification and uh, it's just, it's something that I feel like as not only police officers and first responders, but even people that we deal with. I mean, how many of my brothers and sisters out there, you're dealing with people that sometimes are having the worst day of their life. And the last thing they want is an unfeeling robot that recites the same rhetoric and then hands up a pamphlet <laughs> and is like, okay, have a good day now. Bye. And then they go about their business. You know, we could be dealing with someone who is having the worst day of their life and we're done and we're going to go get lunch. Do you think that person's going to go get lunch or dinner after that? You know, do you think they're going to feel some kind of uh, way after just witnessing something traumatic or losing a family member or whatever the case may be? So I started to realize that, you know what, in first responders, we need to be trained in mental health as well to deal with people that are in crisis and not just say, hello, I am officer so-and-so. Here is a pamphlet to help you. Would you like me to call someone? That's, again, you know, we're people behind the badge. It's, we need to be people. We need to be there to help others. If that makes sense. So you took it on your own. I did. I, I, I did it all on my own. Um, I'm very much a proponent of uh, getting as much training as you can, learning as much as you can. Um, my bag that uh, when I got my Lifesave Award, that was a bag that I put together on my own, out of my own pocket, sought out the training on my own time, on my own dime, just because I knew that if, in fact, I ever needed to use what I learned, it could mean a difference between life and death. And I was able to use it on a call one day several years ago and was able to save someone's life after being shot. So, again, I'm just I'm very much a proponent for always continuing your training your, your education, it's, this is a job that doesn't stop. It's not, you go to the academy and you're done. You don't learn anything else. On that note, I'm going to actually ask everyone this year, this question. Yeah. You all work at different departments and mm. I brought this up one time and got like, everybody carries that stuff. So, so why are you even thinking that's important? So do you carry for yourself a personal uh, active shooter survival kit or, you know, trauma, do you have access on your person at all times to bleed stop and wound pack and just the basics you would need if you got shot and you were alone outside of your vehicle? So again, I'm, I'm very much a proponent of self-treat as well. You know, if you go down, you need to do as much as you can to buy yourself time to get to the hospital. So I keep on my right side an IFAC. And in that is got, you know, hemostatic gauze, quick clot, um, things like that. Um, for sucking chest wounds, I have a uh, hyphen seal on there, tourniquet, um, my blood type information, all that. Just enough that, God forbid, I'm shot or stabbed, I can at least start packing the wound, put pressure on it, get a tourniquet on there, and try to stay in the fight just long enough. So I'm, I'm very much a proponent of that. A lot of our guys have tourniquets on them. Um, I've had to use my tourniquet several times on other people that have gotten hurt. So I keep that stuff on me at all times. And for me personally, I don't know what everybody else keeps in theirs, but I keep a picture of my kids too. 
because you know god forbid it's it's my time i'm gonna have that in my hand and i'm gonna be holding it because it, it might give you those few seconds to say look hold on hold on you're gonna make it absolutely mm. so the kit that you carry you put together yourself so in my patrol car i put together it's a sling bag or a go bag that is for active shooters that's for a serious we have multiple schools in our town and you know i i don't when you went through the uh, active shooter course through the fbi the alert course level one they talk about you know you should have those things in your patrol car you should have stuff that when you get in there your job number one is to stop the killing and as traumatic as it might be you know there might be people that are injured you don't have time to stop you have to stop the threat so in that go bag i'll keep things like quick clot hemostatic gauze extra tourniquets that just toss and go and toss and go or you know if you're on a situation where you need a tourniquet and you don't have one there's one in the car so that was what my go bag that i put together was what helped me save someone's life after a shooting and from that point forward um i was asked to create bags for our patrol cars and stock them for what i keep in mind and then going forward that was put into service that every patrol car must have a go bag with medical stuff in it for that situation. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that we're pushing for is to um, standardize a lot yeah. of those things uh, that are more incident, that are more critical incident response than patrol. I mean, mm. now patrol has to carry um, all of the different kits for, for our drug addicts and mm. things like that. So there's changes, yep. there's changes coming that you guys are being you're the first on the scene more often than yeah. not. So you don't really get the choice. <laughs> yeah. You get to get trained to do all the things. Otherwise, people die. Right. Yep. Whether you like it or not, you're the first one there. So if you can hand someone something that can save their so they can save their own lives, Absolutely. then you don't have to be so responsible for all of that. No, mm. you just can hand something over and just be like, okay, here, here's the supplies you need. Do this yep. for yourself. <laughs> I'm going to go over here and stop this bad guy. But yeah. Something that will keep you alive for the next 60 seconds. And that might be all you need. Yeah. And I mean, well, even God forbid when my fellow officer goes down here, you know, here's something to keep you in the fight just long enough. Right. I think another thing people don't understand, and you did briefly touch on it, is that your job is to stop the incident. Your job is to go after the person that is doing, that is creating the damage and, and making people get shot. Your yep. job is not to help the people that are on the ground. Mm. So you are literally required to bypass people on the ground at times yep. to stop an incident. So, and EMS will not come into a scene until that scene is considered safe or cleared. Absolutely. So you're not just going to have the right person there to save you immediately. Mm. You might be on the ground for 30, 40 plus minutes waiting for the scene to be safe for other people to come in. Yep. So that kit that you carry might be the only first aid that's rendered Absolutely. for an extended period of time. Uh, we had a school shooting here and one of the primary things that in the after conversation, the, the things we learned was 
had the teachers been supplied with those types of things with mm -hmm. lead stop with with the things you need for a traumatic injury rather mm -hmm. than a first aid kit which is what they had in their classrooms at the time had they been supplied with those things and they could have provided that kind of care some of the students would have survived because they were mm -hmm. seconds to three minutes past like they literally didn't make it because of 60 seconds to three minutes in response time yep and that's one of the big reasons I carry that is because if it can buy you three minutes to get to the hospital, you know, it, it's three minutes that could save your life. So you now have been training your department on some of these things. Uh, so when I put the bag together, uh, I did seek out more, you know, help and assistance. One of our officers is very highly trained in the medical field. So just beyond EMT, paramedic, um, getting their nursing degree. So, you know, I, I spoke with them as well about, you know, what do you think and what would you recommend and putting in the patrol cars? And he definitely helped a lot. Um, and from there, you know, I was able to take what I learned and I'm an instructor for, uh, it's a vocational school. So it's for kids that come from high school and want to transition into first responder world. So they will learn fire, EMS, law enforcement and i handle the law enforcement portion and so i will teach them we we do several mock drills every year we call it a day in the life and we basically show them mock recreations of severe car accidents of you know active shooters and we show them how to apply these things what what do we do with them and back to your point a lot of them when we get there and we have people acting that they're hurt and we bring in special effects, makeup artists and all that stuff. They'll see people that they're hurt and they'll want to stop and help them. They're like, no, 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 no. We have a more important goal right now. Unfortunately, you got to grab stuff and throw it. And I'll teach them, you know, this is, you have a tourniquet, pull it out of the bag, throw and go. If you've got quick clot, throw and go. If you've got hemostatic gauze, throw and go. Whatever it is, you throw and go. So it, it's more teaching the students that are coming in a lot of uh, like my fellow officers now, we do a stop the bleed. So we're learning more about that, those few minutes that can be the difference between life and death. So often. Mm. Awesome. So what's it like working with kids? How are, um, you, how are you enjoying that part with those young folks? So they're teenagers. They could be anywhere from, you know, 15, 16, up to getting ready to graduate. Um, the classroom portion, you can tell I'm like, guys, I know a lot of this stuff is dry. You know, you'll, you'll see, you'll look down and you'll say, right. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I get it. You know, sometimes case law is not the most exciting thing, but you know, you tell them, listen, this case law could be the big difference between what you do tomorrow and the day after. So it's important that you pay attention. Um, but they love the hands-on stuff and what we call the lab. So we'll do a little, I'll teach them some, you know, simple hand-to-hand -hand techniques. Um, I have an extensive history in martial arts and in training. I am a certified instructor. I do carry a black belt. So it, it's fun to teach them that stuff. That, they're all like, yeah, let's go, let's go. They love riding in the police cars and showing them, you know, lights and sirens and simulating car stops and how to arrest people. So that part seems to get them a little more excited. But when you have to sit there and talk about vehicle code and case law and uh, your crimes code and rules of criminal procedure, you, you'll catch them sleeping. 
So do you feel like they're excited about the career? Like, are you able to get them to the place where you think they might actually apply? So a lot of them, they're either going into fire or EMS. And it's funny you bring that up. I saw one of my students yesterday on a medical call we had, and he's training to be an EMT. So he was able to do his ride a long time and all that. And it's fun to see your students from when they first started to what they're becoming now to become professionals. So the law enforcement portion, every year it seems like there was a little bit less students and a little bit more wanting to go into like fire and stuff like that. We've had a lot of conversations about nobody dislikes the firemen. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they don't they don't get ambushed. Well, yep. I used to be able to say that. That's not actually I was gonna say there there's <laughs> yeah, it's getting a little worse out there for everybody. I mean yeah. I'm hearing more and more about body armor on even firefighters. Yeah. Because of what happens. Which was a little strange. Who would have thought that when we were kids, uh, you know, I they know, would need right? body armor. We used to be able to say that. And now there's been just recently there was an ambulance that was ambushed and they were shot while they were driving the, the truck. And then uh, the fire, the firefighters just recently at the firehouse literally got ambushed. The firehouse yep. door was open and they got shot. So we can't really say that anymore, but it's not happening as often mm. as, as with our, our police officers. Yep. And this is always a hard question and people don't like to answer it. So um, say what you want or just say okay. pass or whatever. But yep. do you feel like there's a culture of violence against police officers right now or phrase it any way that you want to phrase it? Do you think that our society is kind of creating an environment that's that's risky for you guys? It's a hard question to answer because you want to make sure that you're you're staying factual and not based on emotion. Um, I can only speak based on what I see myself. Um, I think it's a culture of one social media and negative news. I mean, we know negativity and fear sell when it comes to news. You know, you there's a police officer that seems someone's life that might get some local airtime, you know, a little bit of other stuff. But if you see a police officer do something stupid, and I'm sure we've all seen it in the news, it goes worldwide. Now to say that, how many poor attorneys have put people in jail? How many bad doctors have killed people on the operating table? You know, how many other people that have been poor in their job and had serious consequences? It, it almost seems that you know, the, the social media and the news love to take that negativity and what one stupid officer does paints all of us. You know, I worked through the riots after the show, uh, the Chauvin case and all that, you know, one stupid officer does not paint the thousands and thousands of other officers out there that do their job every day with integrity and honor. And it, it's sad to see that, that because there's, I, I've been a speaker at, colleges as well. And without getting into politics, you can tell generally who is on which party, which is sad because the first thing they'll hammer at you is, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for everybody else out there, but there are so many officers out there that they do their job well. 
And it's a very defeating thing when you have the news that generally seems to thrive on this negativity. And I can't speak for all news departments out there and, you know, the press and all that because I don't know them all. But it just seems as though a lot of it is driven negatively through social media and through the news because that's how we communicate these days. It really is, you know, you turn on the TV, it's around the clock news. You log in on your phone or, you know, you go into Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Chances are you can find somewhere along there a cop doing something stupid that makes headlines. And it's it's sad. It's It seems like our society is more driven on the negative. They want to know, oh, who screwed up? Who screwed up? Instead of, you know, wow, look at all these other officers that did such an excellent job. You know, this one that saved someone's life or this officer that went the extra mile. I mean, it, I've seen officers go get a couple gallons of gas for a, a mom that ran out of gas and was just trying to get home. You know, how, how many people out there that have saved someone's life and it just gets overlooked. So, I mean, without, you know, dragging it on, I would say a lot of it is just driven by social media and the negativity of the media itself. So do you ever, do you personally have days when you're afraid? Do you feel afraid to go to work sometimes? Honestly, if anybody tells you that they're never afraid in this job, they're not being honest. We have a job where you may not, you may not come home. It is a very real possibility. And when we were working through the riots, you know, it's, you have to be on edge. And there are times where there's calls, you're afraid. It is. But, you know, you, you have to choose to either let your fear control you and you run away from it. Or you, you deal with your fear, you overcome it to do the job that you were trained and called to do. So, you know, not to say that I'm anyone special, but I've been through those calls. I've been there. I When those little spidey senses on the back of your neck, your hairs go up and you're like, something's not right. Something, you know, something doesn't feel right. Take a second, pause. So it's, there's times where, yeah, you, you get nervous because it's just, it's one of those jobs that, you never know. Are there certain kinds of calls that now that you've been at it for a while, are there certain kinds of calls that you just go, oh, and then that's when you know that you're you're feeling that that tension and that nervousness? Because I know a lot of people say domestics are really unpredictable. So do you, do you have those particular types of calls that you're like, oh, not again? <laughs> Every every department has their frequent flyers is what we call them. The people that, oh, hey, you know, this address again for these people, add it again. And then, you you know, you respond on your radio and you're like, in route, you get there and it's the same thing again. But again, complacency kills. So, you know, that one time that you're there for the 10th time that week for this couple hashing it out. You never know what people are capable of when they're in a heightened state of emotion like that. You know, people are, they're drinking, they're on drugs, or they, you know, they just found out the other one's been unfaithful. And when people's emotions are running high, man, they are unpredictable. And that's why they tell you never go alone. Unless it's a dire emergency, always wait for backup. Because you just, you never know. And too many times, you know, it's, hey, you got to separate them. You got to separate them. And Man, I've had them there. You separate them and they go right back at it. They go <laughs> running at each other. And you're like, 
no, let's separate. You go in that room. I'll go in this room. Relax. And it's, you, you try to help calm them down, which again, goes back to the mental health portion of, are you able to actually have a conversation with someone or are you just talking to them? Because people generally don't want someone to just talk to them and then give them a pamphlet on domestic abuse and then leave. It's, you know, hey, let's let's calm this down, man. <laughs> Think about the ramifications. If you hit your wife, you're going to jail. If she takes a rolling pin and bashes her husband upside the head, she's going to jail. Do you really want to spend the night in jail over an argument? Do you really want to have a criminal record over an argument? So it's definitely, domestics are probably one of the scariest, I would say, the top. Probably in the top scariest calls that we get is domestics that you just, you really do never know. So how much time do you spend training on tactical stuff, weapons training and, and, and driving and all that kind of stuff? And how much time have you been given trainings on de-escalation and hypnotic language and how to talk to people and that kind of stuff? So it's definitely more so we get more firearms training, which I'm grateful for. I'm a very big proponent of, you know, knowing your weapon inside and out, knowing how to use your weapon. Um, I would say now, probably over the last couple of years, I've seen more of a push for mental health on how to deescalate, how to have conversations with people. And I say it a lot. Are you having a conversation with someone or are you talking to them? talking at them you know it's you're seeing more i think of people slowly coming around to the idea that being able to talk with people is just as important as hand-to-hand self-defense proper handcuffing techniques knowing how to use the tools that are on your belt your taser if you have oc spray your aspiton um you know obviously your firearm all those things you should also know how to be able to defuse people now, granted, there are times where, look, now's not the time to diffuse. Right now is not the time to say, let's sit down and dialogue. It's hands on. Let's go. You've got a job to do. Get them in custody and then maybe have a dialogue later. You know, have a little conversation. Let let them calm down. Yeah, one of the funniest conversations I had with uh, with leadership was how much time do you spend training on tactical stuff? And how much yep. time do you spend training on verbal stuff, communication? Mm. And then how much time do you spend doing communication and verbal stuff? And how yep. much time do you actually spend doing tactical stuff? Mm. Which should your focus be on? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a big proponent for equal. <laughs> yeah. You should master all of your weapons. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately, I mean, I can't speak for all departments out there, but I know there are those departments are out there that they look at the dollar signs of how much is it going to cost to get these people to go to training? Cause you have to pay for them. Do we have to pay for the training? All right. Well, the budget only allows for X dollars. Well, I would look at it as an investment of, would you rather spend this smaller amount of money now? or more money later because something bad happened because that officer wasn't trained correctly. Right. You in know, lawsuits. <laughs> I, I've spent a lot of money out of my own pocket, taking classes and trainings and all that stuff, because I believe in what I do. And not only that, I'm trying to make myself more better prepared. If that 
sounds like good English, but better prepared for a situation that you might not know you're going to come across. You know, you never you might, know what you're going to come across. <laughs> you you really don't. Sometimes it is. Listen, hands on. You got to go. It's you know this guy's swinging. How many officers practice hand to hand tactics? You know how many of them practice or partake in any type of a martial art? You know, some, they go to the academy, they learn the basics and they're like, yeah, I'm good from there. and then they show up to work with a black eye and you're kind of like, so what happened? Other times it's, listen, you know, it, it, this guy's upset. See if you can calm them down, talk to them. It's one of those things in our job. You got to read the situation quickly because it's always evolving. You could go with a guy that's heated, you know, a, a girl that's ready to do battle and they calm down after you talk with them because they feel like they're being listened other times they're all upset. They you think you're gonna go hands-on, then they calm down. Other times they're calm. And then all of a sudden it's nope, nope, we're hands-on. You know, and in this job, I've been kicked, bit, spit on, bodily fluided on, excrement, uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You you see it all in this job. So well, it's, and for people that don't know officers personally or don't have any yep. experience with law enforcement there's kind of this um this picture that mm. people in law enforcement aren't highly intelligent and i think you know they're just the, the brawn they're out there to, yep. to to bash some heads in and stuff but the reality is it's one of those jobs that takes a massive amount of emotional intelligence mm. and not all officers are really into book smart stuff, but they are street yep. smarts and they have a very high level of emotional intelligence to even get through training. Yeah. So what would you say to someone that has that, that idea that officers are just all about brawn and not about brains and what is. I would love to bring them to my department to let them meet some of the officers that I work with. Because some of them are the most intelligent people I've ever met. I mean, we have one guy. You could give him something for, we'll say, vehicle code. He'll read it and remember it. And if you ask him a question, he'll probably be able to recite it back to you exactly how it's supposed to go. You know, some of the guys that I work with are highly intelligent. Um, the one officer I work with who's got a lot of medical training, very intelligent person. Um, another one, former military, same thing. I, I would say if, if that's their view, come talk to some of the guys in my department. They'll change your mind real quick on intelligence. And look, I'm not the brightest bulb out there. I'll, I'll tell them that compared to these guys, no chance. You know, there's times where I'm like, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Did I eat? <laughs> these guys could probably tell you what they had two weeks ago. So, but they're men and, you know, the people that I work with they're I have the utmost respect for a lot of admiration. They're very intelligent and they do their jobs well. So, like I said, it's, I, I love my department where I'm at. What do you think the top three qualities for a good officer would be? I think number one is integrity. We say in our job all the time, it's, it's your integrity, your, your credibility, and your own ethics, your own honor, basically. I mean, if in this job, if you lose your credibility, you're done. It's it's the only thing we have. And 
from my other officers out there that have been on the stand in court proceedings, when the defense attorney is trying to destroy your credibility and make you look like you don't know what you're doing, it's you have to have credibility. You have to have your integrity. You have to know that when I put this person in handcuffs, I did it for the right reasons. And, you know, if, if you're filing charges on someone, you did it for the right reasons. Because once that credibility is gone, you are not getting it back. So, I mean, honestly, I would say number one is your credibility, your integrity, and your own personal ethics. I mean, we are entrusted with a lot of stuff. There are times where we will come across thousands and thousands of dollars in cash because someone who's a drug dealer. That's when your ethics come in. Is somebody going to notice a couple hundred dollars missing? They might. They may very well notice it. And guess what? You're willing to risk your whole career over that. And again, what does that destroy? Your credibility. You'll never be trusted again as a police officer. And most likely if you're terminated, you're, you'll never get hired again from any first responder agency because they know, well, dude, if you can't be trusted, we can't put you in an ambulance with medication. We can't put you in a firehouse with thousands of dollars worth of expensive equipment. So you're in a good environment with really good leadership. And mm. so you probably don't have a lot that you would say about changing your system to support your mental health. But was there anything that you were not ready for after you went through your training and you went into work? Was there anything that really took you by surprise and you wish would have been addressed differently or more thoroughly for you? So for me, I went through... Um would have been about, I think, two years ago now, um, a very traumatic car accident. Um, I was the second one on scene. It was a multi-rollover. Um, all of the occupants in the vehicle were ejected. And when I got there, it did not come in as that type of a call. It just came out as a medical call. And when we got there, there's bodies strewn along the highway. Um, there was one little girl that was, she had slid down the highway and had really bad injuries. She was alive, thankfully, but she had slid under the guide rail, was first on scene to address her. Luckily, people were getting out of their cars, asking if I, they can help, you know, giving them direction. Other officers started to show up. They know what they're doing. Ran over to uh, a little girl who unfortunately died in my arms with her blood on my uniform as I was trying to save her life. And she was looking at me. Um, I won't get into the details because for those that are out there, that might trigger something for them. But uh, for me, when I had two of those people die on me and it was just one of those things where you weren't, you weren't ready for it. It's one of those things where when you're holding a child and they're looking at you and you know it, I, I'm human. I can only do so much that takes a toll on you. And like I've had, conversations before and in public speaking events I've done, many people don't realize as first responders that while the battlefield can be traumatic, when people leave, they're not seeing that battlefield again. We as first responders might drive by that same area again and again and again and be reminded of that event and play it out in your mind again and again and again. And it's one of those things where not everybody is trained mentally for that. 
People think that police officers, oh, they go through it, they get help, and then they're fine. Well, no, what about, you know, that fatal car accident that I was on? Several days later, I'm driving by, there's teddy bears, teddy bears and flowers. You were there. You were the one that held that person in your arms and watched their life slip away. Now you have to drive by and be reminded of it. And so for me that, you know, several years ago, that's really what triggered me to say, our mental health has to get better. Our mental health needs to be addressed. You know, it's, for me, I was like, this is when it's, I need to be a first responder. And like you and I discussed before about, you know, the book that I'm writing and that you and I are going to work on as far as being a first responder to yourself. We're always worried about being there for other people. So many times we fail to be there for ourselves, our brother, our sister in uniform, because we're always worried about the next call, the next call, the next, what can I do? What can I do? And if you're not, I remember very well, one of the first lessons I was taught in FTO, don't drive like a maniac to the call, because if you don't get there, you're no good to anybody. And it's the same thing. If you are no good right now, if you're having problems mentally, how can you help other people? It's one of those things. If you can't swim, you're not going to jump into a lake and try to go save someone else who's drowning. So for me, it was just, it, it triggered in me that, you know what? Mental health is just as important as firearms training, just as important as defensive tactics, just as important in knowing your case law. Mental health is vitally important because some officers, it triggers in them that I can't get past this. And the only way out is suicide. And that's never what I want to see. So again, it's one of those things for me that triggered in me that it's time to take mental health serious. It's time for people to stop saying, oh, you know what? You don't need mental health. You know, it's so often stigmatized and it shouldn't be. So I started to seek out, you know, help on my own. I started seeking out ways to be able to help others. And that's what led me to get my SISM training um, and then went on to get uh, what we call PFA, the psychological first aid, even stuff like that, being able to say like, all right, how do I process this in a healthy way? Because mental health isn't always there for help for first responders, especially in smaller agencies. It's either they don't have the budget or it's just one of those things that's just kind of, you know, not right now. Or we have a therapist. Here's a number to call. We have a we have a therapist that has an office right next to our leadership's offices, and you can't yep. go down that hallway of doom without everyone knowing your business, right? But, <laughs> but also, that therapist is going to see you maybe once a month, right? Yep. And mental wellness is ongoing. It's mm. something that you do when you're healthy, not when you're not healthy. It's something that you have to learn tools and resources and resilience and all of these, all these mm. different things that you can apply when you need them before yep. you need them. Therapy comes after you need them, but mental wellness is this whole different idea than what people think it is. Like mm. when we say, let's talk about first responder mental health, people are like post-traumatic stress disorder and yeah. suicide, right? That that's is, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the flavor of the month. PTSD. Whoa. Right. You know? And it's, it, it shouldn't be looked at that way. I mean, it's, you know, I, I love to joke around about it. And, you know, it's one of those things in our job. We do, we joke around. We love to have fun with each other. But there's certain things that's like, hey, you know, we, we got to get serious about this, guys. And I'm glad to see it's, I feel like, slowly turning. I mean, I, 
do you feel like it's changing finally for the better? I feel like there's still a lot of language that we need to adjust to help people figure out what we're really talking about. Yep. But I think we're getting there. Mm. <laughs> Where before we're, we're moving. You couldn't even talk about first responder suicide before oh, without people yeah. going, ooh, taboo. No, we don't. We just pretend that doesn't happen. Absolutely. Like, we're not going to talk about that. But I think we need to expand from talking about post-traumatic stress disorder and, and suicide as if it's like the only thing or mm. the thing and yep. actually get to this preventative and maintenance kind of idea where we actually look at people from a people perspective, not yep. just as, well, yes, I'm an officer, but I'm also a father and I'm also the head of my household and I have all of these different responsibilities and do I know how to keep my body healthy? Do I know how to keep my finances healthy? Do I know how to keep my marriage healthy? Do I know how to parent? Mm -hmm. Like where are the resources that will help me to be the best person I can be and therefore to be the best officer I can be? Absolutely. Conversations much bigger than suicide and post-traumatic stress disorder. But I think mm -hmm. we're getting there. <laughs> it's and I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, I myself am a single dad. So for me, it's, you know, you have to wear many hats. And, you know, for me, I, I got to be there for my kids, too. And there's there's a person behind that badge that has feelings, thoughts, emotions. So it's I feel like we're slowly moving. Yeah. Not sure where yet, but we're moving. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I think the effort is being made more often. Oftentimes the effort seems to be a check the box kind of effort or a yeah. we say we did it kind of effort instead mm -hmm. of an actual um, open and honest, legitimate effort. But yeah. there are small departments that have turn things around in in huge ways and they're mm. creating models for bigger cities and and other departments to look at so yep. after five or ten years when they can say you know we've been doing this for a long time and this is how it's working for us and yep. and by the way we're actually saving money because we don't have as many incidents of you know whatever yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, I mean, we we know that mentally healthy officers actually have less physical altercations. They have less mm. use of force. They have less illness. They have less loss of days of work. Like, yeah. there's all of these different checkboxes where we can go, these are the benefits. It's yep. not going to take much to show that mental wellness is effective, is cost effective. Absolutely. So, I think... Definitely, there are some great examples out there. Flor There's a lot of office, a lot of offices in Florida that are mm. really moving quickly. So, mm. kind of see what happens in the next. Yeah. Week. But we'll have <laughs> statistics to play with shortly to say, okay, look, their suicide rates have gone down. All of mm. these other rates have gone down. Let's Absolutely. Because <laughs> hey, they yeah. want hard facts, right? Nobody wants the well. This is tied, mental wellness is tied to all these things. Well, unless we can prove it by having mentally healthy departments yeah. to use as models, we can't prove it. And if, if you have happy officers, I mean, granted, no agency's perfect. Every agency has flaws. Every officer has flaws. But, you know, if you feel happier in your department, you happier with your leadership, chances are that's going to show. 
right? And you're going to be happier with your interactions with the community and they're going to be absolutely. (laughs) And then you're going to get the support from your community. And it's just, it, you know, there's all these things that it's all tied to. Right. It's not one piece. It's not first responder suicide and first responder post-traumatic stress disorder. No, there's so much more to it. Yep. Yeah, I really look forward to this project with you. I think it's it's going to be fun, and I think it's going to be rewarding. And mm. I think people need to read stuff that comes from a lot of diverse voices. Absolutely. They don't like hearing just from therapists. They don't like hearing just from one or two you know, people who have an experience yep. because that's not everyone's experience. But when you can get the voices all together, yep. are we it's- one drop or are we a tidal wave? Right. <laughs> I, I think it's important. <laughs> it's important, I think, to like you and I discussed, have people that are in the field now. You know, people that are retired from the job. Things are different than when they were, you know, working the job. It was different. What we see now, what we deal with now, it's a lot different. And I know that in 10 years, it's going to be different again. And after I'm retired and done, it's going to change again. You know, nobody's going to want to hear from me as the retired officer. It's, you know, my brothers and sisters that are out there now, they're like, no, this is what we're seeing now. I want want to talk with somebody who gets it, who's on the front lines. So I, I think, I think we got a good project coming. I think we got a really good idea and I can't wait to see how this comes out. So everyone out there, we will keep you guys up to date uh, much more about what's coming and we'll give you a lot of pre-launch details. And there is there is change coming. And I know Dave is not gonna just sit back and wait for it. He's gonna be pushing that, pushing that change forward. So and you know, us over here at Battle to Be, we never shut up. So <laughs> you're gonna keep hearing from us. Uh, as, as we go. Also, I never made an announcement on the podcast that the Warrior Woman book has come out and is available on Amazon. So you can pick that one up as well. But if you want a signed copy, just message me and we'll make sure that you get that. And proceeds from that particular book, if you get them from me, are being donated to provide mental wellness services for victims of human trafficking, domestic violence, and childhood sexual abuse. So just an update on that project also since we are here and we are at the end of our time. So is there any last words of wisdom or anything that you'd want to say to our audience out there? Keep them motivated, inspired, or. I would say that if, if you're feeling like you're getting burned out, if you feel like you're hurting mentally, get help. If you can't find it, reach out to one of us. Chris is a wealth of information, a wealth of contacts, excellent person that can help. I mean, it, it, there's always help out there. You're never alone in this job. You know, we're partners and it's time for us to be partners for each other and for ourselves. If that makes sense, that you're not alone in this. We love all the slogans and stickers and all the stuff that makes you feel good. When you say, you know, you never in this fight alone. No one fights alone. You're never alone, all that. But in reality, you're not. You're not alone. You're not the only officer. You're not the only, you know, paramedic or EMT or firefighter that's feeling that way. There are many people out there that have been there that have felt that way. Get help. It's it's 
there is no shame in asking. I'll add to that, that don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. If you want someone to just listen to you and not try to fix it and not try to tell you what you need to do, just ask them to just listen. Because mm. sometimes all you need is to be heard. Mm. And that's okay. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being with us today. And I will definitely be adding your links so people can find you. Awesome. And we'll do an update in a few months. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Krista. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us tonight as we start our year off right. And I can't wait to share with you some upcoming projects. Of course, we will be doing all kinds of conventions, um, all kinds of events. So we're actually going to start posting a calendar of the month's events along with the podcast so that you know where we'll be and how you can find us and what we have coming out for you this year. So again, thank you so much for supporting battle to be and all of our different projects, helping military and first responders and their families and the communities that they serve.